Welcome to the wheelhouse. You can see the confidence build day by day, and there is an electricity to his personality on the field that's really hard to look away from. Starring Jerry Depoto. And Jerry Depoto to the plate with the 2-2 pitch to Alex. Swing and a miss. He struck him out of the fastball. With Aaron Goldsmith. And now chapter three is, yeah, he's a real ball player. He's an impactful player. He can do a ton for your team. And this is a guy that can really help to solidify a big league lineup. And Gary Hill Jr. He seems along those lines where he wants to be great and does everything possible to go get it. It's time for the wheelhouse. Here's Aaron. Oh my gosh, it's time for the first wheelhouse podcast of 2023. It's been far too long. Aaron Goldsmith, Gary Hill, Jerry DePoto as we record this uh, very chilly home radio booth in advance of game one against the Angels. The Guardian series is now in the rearview mirror. Jerry, you're very tan for how cold it is right now. <laughs> It doesn't really work. I don't know how long it's going to last based on you know current realities. But, yeah. The other thing is I wish we would have been doing this on Friday. You know? yeah. <laughs> hey, very true. Yeah, opening night. Hey, oh, oh, real quick. Opening day, opening night was, was fantastic here. Couldn't have been any better in all regards. I really, I mean, from the crowd to the performance, you know, I, I think from after the first three pitches of the game, it's hard to imagine The Rock being any better than he was. We made the plays. We did the right things. We we did what the Mariners do. You know, we, we made it difficult on the opponent, uh, and then we stopped doing that for a couple of days. Well, we are uh, recording this with the grandest of sample sizes to go off of, so I'm pretty sure Teoscar is going to get DFA'd at some point. I mean, he's not going to hit. I mean, that's pretty clear. Uh, Marco's going to give up three-run home runs every time he takes them out, uh, and it's going to be lose three and win one every four times out. So, no, of course, if this was a football game, we would have uh, some team would have just returned the opening kickoff. Uh, so there's not a whole lot to go off of. But with that in mind, uh, Jerry, your, I guess, impressions of the first four games, whatever that might be worth for your ball club? The first one, like you said, was fabulous. I'd like to see, you know, another hundred or so just like it. But, you know, the, the three games we just finished to wrap up the Cleveland series, we just played uncharacteristically sloppy baseball. And, you know, we, we beat ourselves, which is not what the Mariners do. You know, we, we typically, you know, for to, to, to bring it into football terminology, we, we protect the ball well. And, you know, we, we swung at bad pitches. We did not get an advantageous counts. We gave up too many free passes. You know, we, we're not, that's not what we're built to do. And, you know, I, I, that's not what our players have historically done. So my guess is whether it's today, it's tomorrow or the next, you know, we'll hit reset and, and get back after doing the things that the, the good Mariners do. I think this is the hardest time of season because if you analyze baseball on any four-game set, I mean, that's absurd. It's ridiculous. But these are the only four games we have, right? So I always feel like this time is really difficult. As you watch a season unfold, though, when do you start really looking at, at things, analyzing things? Like, what, what is your marker 45 days. Starts. Okay. Yeah, 45 days. And I, and, I, and, and I think that's the appropriate time. You know, you get into the middle of May and, and you look back at what's happened over the previous 45 days. You try not to get too, you know, judgmental in there because you're going to get guys that come out slow. You're going to get guys that, that come out crashing hard and they're probably not Hall of Famers, but they look like it in a moment. And, and just take a long season perspective, which is what time teaches you. It's, it's very similar. You know, I, I guess I could put it in this way. For, for those who are investors or even track markets, you know, if you open up the, the, the paper every day and look at the, the stock market, you, you're going to go out of your mind. <laughs> but if you look at it as more of a broad long-term investment, 
the baseball season is a long, broad-term investment. And we just spent 2% of our season on, you know, what was a great one and three crummy ones. And, and now it's time to start, you know, game five. It is funny, though. I remember, Gary, you and I were talking about this last year at the start of the season. When you're only going off of even 45 days, your first month of schedule, I mean, yeah. it can really sway. I mean, you look at some teams last year that got hot out of the gate, and you look at who they played and where those teams finished this season. I mean, the way you start the season with the Guardians, uh, we'll see what this Angels team is like. Uh, I don't know if it's more of a – a complex or an easy or a difficult schedule, but that's also that's kind of something that gets put into it, and you can't know what those teams are like until even past 45 days, that quality of competition, until maybe you get to the All-Star break to see how teams kind of level out. You know, I would like to have played the last four games against a team who threw fewer strikes. <laughs> <laughs> but, and who swung and missed a lot more. And that, and, and frankly, we... But the, the thing is, and, and going back to where we started... We control our own destiny. Our talent is real. You know, our players have proven to themselves and to the baseball world that they can compete at an elite level. You know, we just played outside of our own skill set over these last three or four days. And it's not because we didn't have one more bat. It's not because Teo didn't get a hit until his final at bat yesterday. It's, it's, it's simply because we played poorly in virtually every facet of the game for, for three games. And when you do that, you're not going to win. And, you know, I, and I can't sit here and assess our team. Would be doing crazy things if I assessed our team based on the way we <laughs> played the last three days. Uh, you know, it's you try to think more broadly and, and let it come to you. Uh, we have a tough schedule the, the first, you know, 45 days of this season, playing a lot of good teams in what is likely to be some unpleasant weather. You know, I don't think we see a, a warm weather environment until sometime in June. <laughs> so we have to do it just like other teams have to do it. You know, the Clevelands and the Chicago's, they're, they're going to have to deal with those same factors. That being said, just four games. I, I am curious, though, to get your thoughts on the rule changes and what you've seen so far in the early days from those. Uh, just around the league, I, the one thing that I was really looking forward to, and and I was rewarded for for that optimism, is the the base running. You know, the the, the particularly the the grand return of the stolen base. Most especially if you are a Baltimore Orioles fan. <laughs> Apparently, yes. I mean, it, it it wound up being a real thing, and I think it's going to continue to be a real thing. Um, I know going into yesterday's game, I believe the league success rate on stealing a base going into yesterday's game, which was, again, you know, it, it, you're three games-ish into each team mm -hmm. season, was 92.5%, which is phenomenal. It's, that, is, that makes for exciting baseball when, when atypical runners can steal bases where you can be active on the bases and, and gave, gave me even more of a thirst. To, all right, now let's get on base <laughs> so we can see what we can do with some of these new rules with guys like Julio and Colton Wong and Jared Kelnick, guys who have history stealing bases. And, you know, right now we're, we're wading into the water. You have to be on base first to do it, but I think we'll do that. Josh Bell taking off for second base was uh, that epitomized the rule changes in Major League Baseball this year, I think. And you're right, the success rate's been ridiculous. I did wonder, as these rules now become the norm, and we after we experience a season or two of these, will this change how people in your position construct a roster? Like, will you have was is having the speed guy available? now become more of a real thing at all? Truthfully, when you're scouting for the draft, when you're scouting internationally, you're always looking for those, the, the exceptional athletes. Speed has always been, you know, something you gravitate toward. 
you have to have the other skills that you know that allow you to contribute for during a baseball game. I don't think we're going to see a flood of Herb Washingtons and oh, yes. Terrence Gores. Yes. You know? Those are two of my favorites. <laughs> yes. you, 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 greatest hit list, <laughs> yes. two for two right there. But there, there is, you know, there, there's going to be a lower bar for what you have to to provide with the bat, with power. You know, if you can play defense, you know, especially in a flexible enough to move around the field and run you're going to have a spot on a major league club not just added to a good team in september so that they can go steal that one extra base this is it's a real full season asset have you been surprised or not at all with uh it seems like how effortlessly these pitchers in baseball have taken on the pitch clock like it really hasn't seemed to be an issue at least outwardly now, I mean, we've really not had, and I've shared this before, our players, because most of them have experienced it at some level or another, uh, or because they're just Gen 26 good guys, you know, they don't complain much. We've not really heard much of a peep about it, and, you know, the transition for us has been pretty seamless. But, you know, I, I say that around the league, I'm not shocked that we adapted. This is always what happens when any when anything changes. And it's not just in baseball, but it's mostly in baseball. <laughs> if anything changes even a little bit, everybody gets up in arms. And then a couple of days into it, you go, huh, it's pretty good. Mm. And, you know, I, I think the fact that we have played, I think, two of the three quickest games in the league to this point, it's refreshing when the game's moving that quickly. Uh, you know, one of them I was perfectly fine with because <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it worked out in our favor. The other one, not so much. But if you're able to play a game anywhere from, you know, 2.15 to 3.15, I think that's a, it's a nice time to sit down and watch a ball game. And that was, you know, part of what we were hoping to achieve was reduce the, the time spent and, and the downtime in baseball. And from base running to even the, the crowd getting engaged with the pitch clock it became more of an event you know and instead of you know the stodgy sit here and wait for the three-run homer although i would also take one of those (laughs) you know instead of just sitting there waiting for it you felt like everybody was engaged in part of what was happening on the field speaking of adapting we've talked about this from the shift perspective how good your team has been through the especially last couple years defensively uh how has that adjustment gone so far with the new shift restriction you know, I think the it's it's still to be determined. You know uh-huh. what it looks like. Again, we're so, this is you know the infancy of this season, really, but we've already seen so many balls go through the infield just in four days that would have been an out in any of the last ten years. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, some to our advantage, most not. Uh, and I would say, you know, just capturing what I watched in the Cleveland series. You know, we lost that game inches by a wide margin. But, you know, when, when you give up balls that go through the infield quickly, that you know, is just a step and a half out of a, a fielder's, you know, range, that's fun. That's baseball. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad we're watching it. You know, we've seen our players be rewarded for hitting the, you know, putting the ball in play, especially in two strike counts. Good things can happen. And, you know, and, and all too often in the last, you know, half a dozen years most especially, it was converted to an out, and that's not really fun to watch, mm. you know, unless you're on the, the winning side of right. it. Right. Uh, 
somebody will find a way. Uh, at, you know, my my money was not on the Kansas City Royals to to introduce the the most unique uh, defensive set of the early season, but they did it. The Gallo shift. The Gallo shift. Yeah, the Gallo yeah. shift, and you know, the good for the Royals for cutting new ground on that one. And you know, something's interesting is going to happen because there are a lot of smart people around twenty nine other front offices in baseball, and and they will come up with something unique. And and as baseball or most of sport tends to do the rest of us will start to copy that thing and uh, and i would rather somebody be a first mover on this one <laughs> because that you know we've talked about it before what you're giving up for small advantage the risk has really increased and, and you're, you're no longer giving up a the single to put a man on first base with one out mm-hmm. you're potentially giving up extra bases that you can't get back and you know if anything what was shown over the course of this this weekend when you put runners on, when stolen bases become such a prominent part of the game as they did, you know, appear to be this weekend uh, around baseball, you're increasing run scoring possibilities. If if now you vacate the outfield, let's say, you know, and left field is wide open and runners can run and get an early start. I can't even imagine what that's going to look like. It might look like vintage mid '90s Coors Field baseball, and trust me, that's not good for anybody. <laughs> when we talk about the advantages, not a steal, there's two components, right? You have the bases that are three inches bigger, and then you have the disengagement rule. We have seen numerous times, not just the Mariners, but highlights we watch around the league, runners taking off after one disengagement. So it's not just a sellout because they assume that he's not going to pick over again. If you were to kind of make a diagram as to which factor is benefiting the base stealer right now, is it like clearly the disengagement? How much do the bigger bases weigh in in your mindset and the organization's mindset to run more? There's from a from a scientific point of view, the bigger bases are just as as big a contributor to this. From an emotional or actual, you know, activity point of view, it's almost all about the disengagement. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't really think that the the average base runner, or base stealer, is thinking, "Man, second base is three inches closer." <laughs> they're they're probably thinking he stepped off once. There's no way he's doing it again, uh-huh. and and they're you know they're gaining advantage there. Uh, I also think you've now and and again something that's been more prominent, you know, the back picks at second base, which usually you don't see a ton of over the course of the the year you'll see a second baseman or a shortstop jockey or runner they're going to get in there they're going to try to hold them but it's historically it's always been about keeping the runner close you know it was much easier to do in the age of the shift when one of the middle infielders stood back there you know you may recall yesterday's game when we started the 10th inning with Sam Haggerty on second base Andre Jimenez did not move I mean he was roughly anchored to second base because they couldn't afford to let Hags get off the bag you know with nobody out and, you know, fortunately for them, Ty made an out on the first pitch and, and Hags ultimately did steal the base, but they were anchored right there to try to you know, try not to allow that to happen with nobody out because it's an entirely different ball game if the ball that Ty hits in the air to right field happens with Sam Haggerty standing on third base. So a lot of the back picks that we've seen over the weekend were not necessarily just to hold the runner tight, but to actually try to pick them off mm. because the, the runners are getting so much more aggressive. And... Having grown up watching, you know, the, the Royals in the 70s and 80s, the, the Cardinals in the 80s, the, like those teams, you know, Billy Ball's A's, they, they're so fun to watch. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if we'll really see that. You know, maybe this young athletic version of the Orioles can be something like that. 
I do really look forward to what happens when, when our athletic runners, you know, get on base a little more frequently than we did these last four games because it's it's a fun brand of baseball to watch. It is. I'm so fascinated by it because I feel like stolen bases had really become a math equation because we know how long the pitcher takes to home plate. We know the catcher's pop time. We know the runner, how far he gets off, how long it takes. We know all the factors going into a stolen base, but this – whole new dimension that we're dealing with it kind of i guess it changes the math equation right it does and you know i, I think the, the the psychology of the pitcher you know for the longest time when, when i was coming through the minor leagues and and even throughout my major league career you know there, there was an emphasis put on release times to home plate you know and we talked about 1.3 being the 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 high end of what you were going to be asked to do. And, and they wanted you to get down below one, two, uh, you know, and, and there were guys in the league, you know, sinker ballers, especially you know, of which I was one that would be one Oh one, one on their release from the mound. And then we went through about a 25 year stretch where pitchers did not give a hoot about how, I mean, they were one, six and two ten. you know, they're, they didn't care how long it took. And it wasn't, there was just no risk of the runner running because Smart teams made it a math equation and said, this is just not a good bet. And, yeah. and you had to be ridiculously slow to prompt the other team to run. Or, you know, you had to play the Mets during the heyday of Jose Reyes because he was about the last, right. you know, premier base stealer in the league. And there are still guys that will steal bags. There are still guys that have that as a weapon. You know, but kind of like the, you know, the, the NHL went through the, the, the glory days of those Wayne Gretzky years. And then they went through a lull where, you know, a big year in the NHL was scoring 70 points. You know, <laughs> now you got guys again that are scoring huge points. It's all cyclical. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with every rule change, they'll stretch the, the boundaries a little bit more. And I, I think this rule change will stretch the boundaries on the way the game is played. And, and then along the way, somebody's going to make an adjustment that the rest of the league will deem as being smart, and then you'll see it come back the other way. Mm -hmm. and, and, and another 75 years will go by before we make a change. <laughs> <laughs> With all that in mind, how does this apply to Julio? Because we know the 2020 season last year was the first Mariner since Mike Cameron. I mean, it had been a long time in this organization's history for 2020 season. It wouldn't have surprised me at all if the message to Julio entering this year was, hey, Let's pick and choose our spots. You're the most valuable guy on this team. We don't want to be pounding your body quite so much, so let's bring the stolen base attempts down. But now it becomes even easier for Julio. If, if you are comfortable, if you can, can you share us what messaging, if any, there has been to Julio in terms of what his mindset should be on the bases and stealing bags? I think it's a great question. And, you know, it is something that we are open to. It's just running uh, because it is a weapon for him. You know, he'll be the first to tell you he's he's 22 years old. His body feels good. Mm. Go run. You know, <laughs> uh, I, I'll say this. Obviously, I spent some time with the Angels. You know, among that time was Mike Trout's first four years as a big leaguer. And his first year in the league, he stole 49 bases. And, you know, and, then, and the next year, he did not run much. And, you know, and I, I think part of that was you find out when you're stealing bases in that kind of volume, it's really hard on your body. Now, it's, it's hard to be a catcher in the big leagues. It's hard to, to be a shortstop defender over 162 games because of the, the way you have to cover that ground. Maybe the hardest of those things to do is be a, a high-volume base stealer, which is why guys like Ricky Henderson and Lou Brock and Tim Raines doing the things that they did for as long as they did it is pretty phenomenal. 
Uh, you know, I do think Julio has running years, you know, left in him. Uh, as as foot speed starts to slow, and that's the that's the big thing is when a as a player ages, as a player you know develops more strength, power becomes a more prominent part of his game. Like happened with Mike, the run becomes a less prominent part. I look at Mike Trout today, and he's still one of the fastest runners up the baseline in any player in the league. Going first to third, he's a blur. You know, he, he can really run. But the, the stolen base is less a part of his game because power has become such a much bigger part. He wants to make sure he's there to deliver that. And I don't think any of us would be shocked if at in his the prime of his career, which historically is going to happen in your late 20s as a baseball player, if Julio is hitting 40 bombs a year. You know, I don't I don't think anybody's going to be shocked if that's happening. If he's doing 40-40, you know, that would be that would be pretty stunning. But again, I don't think anybody would be shocked. <laughs> what? Can you uh, go a little deeper? I think people listening might think, well, Julio is this physical specimen. Like, what's so tough r- sprinting from first to second when a lot of innings he just stands out there in center field and waits for a ball to get hit to him? Is it, is it the, the pounding of the slide, the impact there? Is it the legs? What is it that uh, when you do that, let's say 40 times a year, that makes it so difficult? Boy, it's everything from the hips, you know, the the the, the explosion required to leave first base, you know, stealing second. Very few players steal third base anymore. You know, there's – I could remember Be- Carlos Beltran, you know, uh, um, Brian Roberts. These guys were, were – they were stealers of third base. There has not been many in the last 30 years. It's a, it's guys don't do it. Sam Haggerty likes to do it. So it's just tougher for them. Uh, but the, the the explosion leaving first base, you know, the getting on the ground and getting off the ground. You know, wh- whether you are a head first slider or, or a feet first slider, we can debate what the appropriate way to slide is. But you're going on the ground, and and the impact of doing that. You know, if you are even an 85 percent base stealer, which is the elite base stealers of all time, really. You know, if you are going to, to going to get thrown out 15 times for every 85 that you steal or thereabouts, that, that's a lot of time spent jumping, diving on the ground. And in addition to 700 plate appearances, playing defense in the big part of the field, etc., it just beats you down. And, you know, I think in the, the modern era, now, now we'll take it into more of a, a, a tech whoop bands, the way we track players, satellite technologies, stat cast. You can, you can look into, um, you Google it on the internet and pull up Savant or, or check into how much ground a center fielder covered during the course of a game, just like you can how much did a midfielder cover in a soccer match. And, you know, when you do that and, and you take off, think of if every time you're successful, if you're a 50 base stealer, if you get thrown out 15 times, that's 65 times taking off on the ground. If you think that somewhere along the way there wasn't some kind of anomaly, a foul ball, something that stopped that moment, that's a lot of starts and stops over the course of a full season doing that for 162 games, and it starts to take away your legs. And when your legs leave, it affects your power. And and hitters with, with weakened legs – that's when you start to see real nosedives in productivity. It's why the great base stealers of the first, you know, the, the pre-war generation were almost always smaller, you know, what we'll call, steal Scott's term, the scat backs. You know, mm-hmm. the guys who ran around weren't expected to provide much power. They were out there to get on base and steal. We haven't had those players in generations. Uh, now there is an expectation to produce offensively, and when when hitters fear losing the the strength in their legs, 
you, we've seen players play through second halves of season with lower half injuries or at latter stages in their baseball lives trying to go out there and hit, and it's hard to do with without your legs. And that's what happens when you try to run too much with, with the big physical guys. You brought up one of my favorite baseball reference things. I feel like, Gary, you and I have talked about this. Trout's 49 steal season. Yeah. Do you know the story behind the 50th attempt? I was sitting right here. Do you remember who was, over. Do you remember who was involved in this? It was game 162 of the season. Trout got on base. Yep. And Jesus Montero to Gunned Dustin him down. to Dustin Ackley <laughs> prevented Mike Trout from a 50 steal season. And I don't think that Trout is spending a whole lot of time checking out his baseball reference page like we do. But if I were him yeah. and I saw 49 so. on there for the re- – and he's never getting to 50 steals again. I mean, as you already chronicled for, it's just not going to happen. That would keep me up at night if I were Mike <laughs> There's, If I were Mike Trout, not much would keep me up. <laughs> 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 but, you know, I do th- – I remember sitting here thinking – because we were all rooting for him to get the 50th sure. bag that night. And, and it was it was Johnny Bench, you know, himself <laughs> getting in the way. But, I, I, you know, I do think that, that the the – evolution of a player especially the the physical player who who provides offensively and you go back and you think about the the young Barry Bonds or Jose Canseco when he broke into the league and the A-Rod you know guys that were were out there and they had this these multi-dimensional skill sets and they could bomb and they could run the run part only lasts for so long because they learn that if they keep running like that they won't bomb Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, and, and I don't know in which, you know, is it the chicken or the egg, mm-hmm. but most would prefer to bomb. And, uh, and, the, and the, therefore, the running stops a little sooner. Jerry, today we have a, I think it's a fairly tame stump, J.D. Like, I want to get you off on a, on, a good, on a good foundation here. Okay, like let's just throw a nice BP fastball right down the pipe. Uh, I've missed plenty of those in my Boy, day. <laughs> now if he doesn't get it, you've I'm, really set it up. You know, that's a great point. Should I? Yeah. Re- three, two, one. Jerry, <laughs> we have a real stumper of a stump JD. It might be our most difficult one yet. I knew we'd be talking stolen bases today. So I wanted to ask you, Jerry, who is the all-time career leader in steals of home plate? Steals of home plate. The yeah. all-time career leader yeah. in steals of home plate. Now, I will say that uh, it is a little rough, uh, but it is generally agreed upon who has the most <laughs> all-time. It is a little rough, but generally agreed upon. <laughs> you want to cut that? Gary, you want to use that for a drop later? Yeah, that's <laughs> a, I mean, it's, a, it's like an 85%. It's like a great base yeah, dealer here. Is it Jackie Robinson? No, that was Gary's that was guess. guess. That's too. a great guess. Is it Rod Carew? No, Rod Carew. Uh, he's uh, tied for 14th all time. 17. I mean, that's that's a lot. That's, it seems like I've, I remember watching him do it that's my 17. lifetime. 17. Yeah, that I mean, is crazy, right? I mean, 17. There's not a single player in baseball right now who will ever get more than five. <laughs> so <laughs> well, seven, The so, rules change. Yes, that's true. So 17 is a whole lot. I mean, Rod Carew has more than every current player combined. <laughs> combined it's actually very fast. Probably doubled. Uh, you tell me when you want a hint. There's, I, so it's rough. Well, it's a real. It's a real yeah, you'll find this number everywhere. But there's, they're basically just saying. We think we're, They're saying yeah. Ballpark. Yeah, but like Ty Cobb. Yes, yes. Jerry. There's, yes. Okay. I could see why it might not be. You know. I mean, yeah. yeah detailed going, information. Yeah. I mean, it was like a million years ago. 
uh, the, they weren't tracking things with satellite back for How Ty. How many are they giving Ty Cobb? Yeah, okay, that's a great question. Uh, they give Ty 54, Max, <laughs> Max, Max Carey a distant second with 33. Well, 54 is safe. That will never, yeah. ever be touched. <laughs> that seems like one of the many counting stats that's yeah. never going to be approved. Yeah. So, you know, uh, why don't you, you can take that nugget back over to your baseball ops booth later tonight and drop some knowledge on some people. You don't have you don't, don't tell them it came from us. Make that yours. There's, I, I, I will say that there were more than a couple of times this past weekend as, as we continued to struggle hitting with runners in scoring position that I was really hoping somebody would just take off. You know? <laughs> there you go. You know, I mean, J.K. was over there. I could see it bowling a china clock. Closet, just yeah. knocking it down, stealing home plate, and the place erupting. Uh, Jared is the only guy that we've ever seen come out of the tunnel on opening day looking like he just maxed in his bench press. I yeah. mean, he had sweat coming. <laughs> he had a, a glazed donut forehead. I mean, it was like, I don't know what he was doing back there, man. That was, did, have you set the up intensity. the intensity? Yeah. yeah. And we got kettleballs back there in that tunnel. <laughs> What's going on? Does it surprise you that J.K. would be intense? <laughs> Rise to the moment. <laughs> it was a very good run, actually. He he did a very fine job. You know, Jerry, uh, we've touched on uh, the disappointing uh, series to the Guardians, which happens. Uh, it can certainly happen against a good team like that. But the I think the the real disappointment, obviously, and heartbreak for the Mariners early this season has been Robbie Ray, who's had such great track record of health over the course of his career. We know how hard he works uh, during the off season, in particular. Uh, is there anything else to share other than, I guess, what we all know, which is he's not going to touch a baseball for a couple of weeks, and then you hope that that forearm starts to get a little bit better? Yeah, I, I will say, it's kind of crushing. I mean, he, you could not throw the ball better than he threw the ball in spring training, and he worked his tail off throughout the offseason. He's in wonderful physical condition, was topping out at 97 miles an hour, sitting around 95 during the spring. We saw we saw Cy Young, Robbie Ray, yeah. virtually every time out. And you know, it, just talking to Robbie on Saturday morning, he said, you know, I, in my warm-up, it's the best I've ever felt, maybe the best warm-up he's ever had. And, you know, it went out to the mound feeling like you know, he felt all spring. And then that quickly, you know, devolved into uh, the obvious, which was some, some forearm issues. Uh, we're looking at it as a gift, you know, to, to find out, A, at this stage in the, the season where there's still 98% of the season left to, to play, uh, that if he's going to miss time, we would prefer that he miss time now. And we were relieved that it was just a flexor. And I, and I say that I don't want to minimize the, the significance of, of any injury, but anytime you're talking about players, forearms, elbows, etc., with pitchers, that is, uh, that, that, that gets a little scary. And, you know, when we found out the information about midday on Saturday, that it was, that it was uh, a strain and there was nothing, no issue with the, the UCL, we were thrilled by that. So, um, I know Robbie's not missed much time in his, in his career really. So, uh, hopefully he'll take this opportunity, just kind of get right. And if it takes two weeks, four or six, you know, whatever it takes to get him back to what we were seeing down in Peoria, you know, that Robbie Ray makes a huge difference for us. And, you know, nobody really asks you. And, and this I will remind you of, uh, hopefully no, no longer after today. Nobody really cares about how you start. They care about how you finish. And, you know, as long as we've got Robbie at the finish, I think we'll all be uh, thankful for that. Yeah, there's no question. Hey, Jerry, it's good to get the first one of the books, man. Thank you for swinging by.